Good morning. It's May 16th. And welcome to Doing Life, Daily Devotions for Finding Peace in Stressful Times. This is the audible companion of the book of the same name. Today's title is Don't Spit Into the Wind. You don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit into the wind. You don't pull the mask off that old Lone Ranger and you don't mess around with Jim. Jim Croce. You don't have to be very old before you learn by personal experience that the adage you don't spit into the wind made famous by Jim Croce's ballad You Don't Mess Around with Jim, 1972, can be taken both in a literal and a figurative sense. The expression means, of course, that one shouldn't engage in activities that are either futile or extremely likely to be a detriment to one's health. While the landlocked person may not realize it, the idiom certainly didn't originate with Jim Croce. Instead, it's a euphemism for the slightly more vulgar original, which was a common British nautical expression. That's right, it came from sailing. The folk rock song substitutes the word spit for the original four-letter slang word related to a bodily function. And any sailor can tell you that when you're out with just the boys and the girls are nowhere to be found, no true sailor goes below decks to use the head. Early on, however, the male sailor learns to assess the tack first, be aware of the wind direction, and select the side of the boat most amenable to staying dry. The same principle of flow dynamics behind not expectorating directly into the breeze presents a problem for the sailor. There are 360 degrees to the compass, but in general, about 60 of them are eliminated as a directional heading by the forces of nature, roughly 30 degrees to either side of the wind direction, direction always being the compass point from which the wind originates, cannot physically be the heading for a sailboat, no matter the rigging, no matter the skipper, no matter the size of the craft, no matter when in history. You simply cannot sail directly into the wind. And not exactly for the reason that most people think. We will, however, delay our discussion of the physics of sail for a moment and take you back to my childhood experiences in Maine. The reach is so-called because the prevailing southwest breeze blows across this body of water, so that sailing up or down the reach usually means you have the wind coming over the beam or side of the boat. This is reaching. But if you start out at our Deadman's Cove and you want to head out across the reach for West Penobscot Bay, and furthermore, let's say specifically you plan to head for Pumpkin Light, then, well, you usually have a problem. You see, Pumpkin lies just west of south from our cottage. That means the prevailing wind often comes directly from the lighthouse. We were in fledgling on a brisk, sunny summer afternoon, heading for Pond Island in a planned picnic. Pond lies on a heading of 240 degrees, right through the slot between Pumpkin and Little Deer Isle. Pop and I and Uncle Don were in our classic gaff-rigged wooden sailboat, while my dad was in the sea skiff with Mom, Granny T, and my brother Scott. It was about 1964. I was eight, which means I was protected from the cold ocean spray by the bulbous orange life vest draped around my neck and tied across my chest, as dictated by the life-saving technology of the era. My grandfather was sitting on a flotation cushion on the floor of the wooden cockpit, back against the gunnel of the high side, pipe smoke streaming aft behind him. 
I was on the high side as well, but too short to support myself in a steep heel with my feet against, well, anything, so I was hiked up onto the narrow strip of decking surrounding the cockpit, holding onto the cleated jib sheet for stability. My uncle was relaxed on the low side, the cold water streaming past right behind his shoulders, breeze ruffling his hair and sun on his face. We were on a port tack, wind coming over the left side of the boat. Our sails were hauled all the way in, both the boom, which is the crossbar sticking aft from the mast, to which the foot of the mainsail is anchored, and the jib up front, controlled by the ropes, called sheets, on the clue, aft corner of the triangular sail, which led back through pulleys along either side of the boat to one cleat for each. Pop, I thought you said we had to go right next to Pumpkin, I asked over the sound of the water streaming off the bow as Fledgling cut cleanly through the waves. Yup, this was his usual gruff monosyllabic answer and was delivered in a tone which seemed to communicate his awareness that a stupid question would undoubtedly follow this simple observation. Well, I said innocently, why aren't we pointing at it? Pop looked away from the telltales and right into my eyes. There was a twinkle in his despite his roughness. He held the tiller with his right hand, keeping it toward him, with some significant effort against the unseen forces of wind and water acting on the rudder below. With his left hand, he carefully removed the pipe, as if to speak, and then coughed with that hack that so many smokers seem to have. Watch, he said, as he replaced his old meerschaum. Ready about, he said to my uncle. He pushed the tiller away slowly, and fledgling turned to port, toward the wind, and to a heading which pointed directly at the slot between pumpkin and deer. At first the boat heeled even more, and I scrambled to hold on to my now precarious perch, but that only lasted a second. Immediately the boat leveled out, and a tremendously loud snapping, popping noise filled the air. As my uncle released the sheet on the starboard side, the boat pointed into the wind, which now blew past us on both sides of the sail. No longer at a flat angle against the port side of the sailcloth, the jib and the main began flapping furiously in the wind. Despite the cacophony of the sails and the seeming disarray of jib and main sheets flopping back and forth rapidly on the deck, you could feel the boat's way give off. In other words, she quickly slowed. Pop worked the tiller to try and keep her into the wind for longer than one would normally on a tack or turning into and through the wind. But fledgling bucked on the waves like a mare confined to a paddock, she disdained, and despite Pop's efforts, she completed the tack. Now the wind came over our starboard, or right side, just forward of the beam. He finally pulled in the main sheet, bringing the boom almost parallel to the boat again, and this with considerable effort. Uncle Don put an end to the flapping of the jib by hauling in the sheet on my side, and then leaning on his knees across the cockpit and cleating it home. Suddenly I was on the low side. My grandfather had deftly moved to the high side as he reined in the main sheet, and my uncle had stayed where he was. I didn't like the low side, so close to the rushing water, and I may have even begun to cry a little. Uncle Don put out his hand and pulled me up next to him. Here, kiddo, plenty of room on the high side for all of us. That was my grandfather. It was typical that he had demonstrated the answer to my question, never uttering a response beyond, yup, and watch. It dawned on my eight-year-old brain that you can't sail directly into the wind, no matter how much you may care to. Pretty clearly, spitting into the wind would be just as ineffective. 
Christians experience the same thing going through life as fledgling did going through the water. Certain headings are simply not possible in our own power, no matter how sincerely we desire them. John 15:5. It is faith that allows us to steer a reliable course through the peak and trough of life's waves without foundering. James 1:6. It is faith that keeps us beating to windward, knowing that our destination is attainable even if not directly in front of us. Spitting into the wind is exactly what tends to happen when we make our plans without God. Proverbs 16:3 and 9, James 4:13 through 17. Our relationship to Christ is the only true constant, and depending on him, as the sailor depends on physics, is the only choice that always works in life. Just as the vector forces on the weighted keel beneath the hull keeps you from capsizing, keeps you from slipping laterally, and always moves you forward, so too the Holy Spirit in our lives. John 14, 16, 26, 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Just as I depended on Pop T to steer the best course toward our island destination, we depend on Christ, the one who loves us and has a plan and a direction for us. Just as Pop T had my best interests at heart, so too the Lord works everything together for good for those who love him. Romans 8.28 I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me you can do nothing. John fifteen five. People do their best making plans for their lives, but the Eternal guides each step. Proverbs sixteen nine. Dear Heavenly Father, we do love you, but then we turn and immediately depend on ourselves rather than you. Holy Spirit, whisper in our ears each time we plan a course without consulting the Lord, who has made himself through grace immediately available to us 24-7 for counsel. Amen. We'll see you tomorrow.